This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Wilderness is not a luxury, but necessity of the human spirit. Edward Abbey. Uh, you know, we had early, we were still early enough on the approach. Four of the five were gone. Um, and we get to this this passover point. I forgot what the actual um, there, there's a technical name for it. It's like the nose or something that you like have to pass through, like the wedge maybe, and then you start climbing onto the backside and up and around to the to the actual peak. Um, and so we're we get to that point, and it's a it's a technical scramble. I think it was a class three, class four scramble. Um, and my friends are like, dude, I'm I'm out. Like <laughs> I don't feel good about this. Um, I'm gonna start down climbing. And I was like, okay, well. Like, what's the time now? How long do I think I need to get up there and back? Do I go alone um, and end up making the decision that I, I feel strong enough, I've got everything I need, uh, and, I, and I can figure it out. Um, and we had seen a few people coming up and down, so I knew I wasn't totally remote. Um, so I made the call to just kind of push push on. Um, and I get, and I'm starting to climb up this free field and I'm just jumping big rock to big rock because it's, you know, with the hiking boots on, you're getting, I'm getting all sorts of rocks all in my shoes at this point. Um, and I'm just jumping up, sliding down. So it's total definition of one, like two steps forward, one step back, because I am sliding back down. And I start trying to, in my mind, play Frogger, where I'm just trying to find the biggest stone that I can, jump on that and hope I don't slide. And I'm just kind of froggering my way up to the top of this mountain. Um, I get to the back section and it's still iced over. And uh, there were definitely, a, I, I didn't think at this point, which I should have taken more time to assess the approach. Uh, but I was like, I need to get up there. I'm 
feel good about where I'm at bouldering-wise. I know I, I boulder on the side as well. And... I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail. I'm Doc. This is the John freaking Muir pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest, whom I reached out to at the suggestion of one of our listeners. I love that when, when the listeners interact with me and say, hey, you know what, have, have you talked to this guy? Have you heard of this guy? He needs to be a guest on your show. So I reached out, and this week's guest got right back to me. And I want to welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod, Kevin Gong. How you doing, Kevin? I'm doing great, Doc. Thanks for having me on the podcast and excited to, excited to chat with you. We obviously have some mutual fans in common. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. Um, you know, somewhat somewhat surprised, but also ecstatic that um, someone's following my lifestyle, inspired to go outside and just explore the explore it outdoors. Okay, nice. Now, usually on the on the podcast, we go by trail names. Doc is not on my paycheck uh, or on my driver's license, but uh, that's my trail name. Do you, have you happened to pick up a trail name in all your outside adventuring? You know, I have not. I haven't done too many trail or like through hikes or anything where. I've gotten a, a, I guess, a long enough time out there where folks are calling me by a nickname. So it's just, it's just Kevin for now. Okay. Well, you know, I have a tendency to try and pick out a trail name during the course of an episode. So maybe we'll, we'll find something to make it stick. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Maybe we're in for a treat here. <laughs> All right. Hey, have you listened to any episodes of the podcast? I listened to one. Yes. Um, and it was, I forget which one it was actually, but it was about a month ago. Um, I can't remember the exact exact name of the guy anymore, but I do remember being a little enthralled by just like the how I think he had done the, the PCT. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it was impressive. Someone had kind of, it, it started getting my gears fitting, right? Like, do, do I, do I want to do a you know, multi-week trip down the, down the, the U.S.? Uh, but yeah, it was pretty neat. Uh, I feel bad. I'm forgetting the name now. I need to go back and that's okay. remind folks. That's okay. This is in, in it, at its heart. This is a human interest podcast. It's the stories behind the people. And I think everybody's got a story to tell. And, uh, you know, most of our stories, all of our stories focus around outdoor adventure, but uh, really I, I just love to hear the stories from, from their perspective and what they've had to overcome in their lives and how the outdoors has, has helped them to overcome that. So um, everybody's got a story, including you, and we are excited to hear your story tonight. Awesome. Yeah. Excited to share. Okay. Hey, towards the end of the episode, I'm going to turn to you and I'm going to ask you for your pro tip inside of the week. Cause anybody that appears on the podcast is a pro in my estimation. You, you've now appeared on a podcast. So you'll be a seasoned pro by the end of the episode and you'll be able to share some, uh, some nugget of wisdom uh, for our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Don't be surprised. Gotcha. Okay. Hey, another segment I, I, that I've done recently that you have no idea about is uh, current events. So I'm going to surprise you with this and just kind of pick your brains. 
and get your reaction to something that's going on in the the world of the outdoors um, very recently. So uh, I go through different headlines and look for different different things out there. And I came across this exciting new trail that's going to open up pretty soon. I'm not sure when it's going to open, but it's called the Lost Sierra Route. Have you heard of this? I haven't heard of that. Uh, anything lost and needing to be discovered sounds sounds quite awesome, though. And in the Sierras, right? So. This is a this is a 600 mile network of trails that connects 15 Northern California mountain towns and Reno, Nevada. Wow, that's so, massive. That sounds pretty cool. I mean, it is it's three times as long as the the John Muir Trail, basically, and you're winding your way through these different small towns up in the mountains in the Sierras. It sounds uh, sounds pretty crazy, and it's open to hikers, bikers, and pretty much anyone else, according to the story that I saw. Oh, wow. I love the multi-use too. That's, uh, it's actually quite, quite awesome. I'm, you know, trying to get more into the world of, of bikepacking and being up in the Alpines and with a bike too, I think is just quite awesome. Sometimes it ends up being more of a hike and bike than anything, but, uh, wow, that's, that's impressive. Yeah. Now with bikepacking on those severe uphills, cause I know you have some, you have some biking experience in your background. We're going to talk about that, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a chore, for a hiker to carry his backpack, his or her backpack up a, a severe incline. Now with, with a bike, do you end up walking next to it? Do you have to eventually carry it at some points of, of uh, some extreme routes or how does that work? Yeah, it depends on the trail. So uh, generally speaking, if the, if the terrain is, I guess, strong enough um, and you're not going through any, you know, to anything too rocky. Um, I feel like on a gravel bike with, with the right, um, I guess, pressure, you're able to get up it. Sometimes though you end up sliding or if you're exhausted, you just kind of start losing grip and it's sometimes better just walk or, or even take a break. Um, but generally I found I've been able to get up, uh, most inclines, albeit I haven't tried anything too intense. There was one road that kind of surprised a friend and I up in, up in Northern California. And we, we sort of remember the name of the road. So just to never go back to it with fully loaded packs uh, it's called Fish Rock Road, um, and I would not recommend doing that with a fully loaded pack on on road tires because we were we were sliding out all over the place, and um, luckily no flats though. But we were going about about three miles an hour the whole time, so not even much faster than someone walking it. Yeah, three miles an hour, I can do that. Yeah, yeah, no, I was that we were just so scared we were going to pop the tires and have to unload the whole bike, and we were already. We were already pretty late in the day, so we're just hoping to. We're just trying to get back to the cars at that point. That was our last day. Okay. Now, in addition to your biking experience, do you also have some maybe some multi-day hiking experience as well? Yep. Yep. That's kind of how I got started. Um, it was, uh, you know, moving back to the Bay Area. Um, I had spent some time in Indiana before after college, and moved back to the Bay Area um, and had some friends that were just already kind of on the backpacking kick and just kind of grabbed me one weekend and said, Hey, grab a backpack, grab a pack, like figure it out. We're, we're getting out there. Um, so I started doing some multi, or I started with an overnighter, which was, um, you know, two miles hiked in pretty, pretty easy overnighter. Um, and then started expanding into some multi-day loops. Um, I think the biggest or one of the bigger loops I, I was able to do was the Grand Canyon of the Tulami, which is that kind of by White Wolf in Yosemite Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was uh, two nights, three nights um, that we had spent the first night backpacker camp and then kind of descended into the valley and did another night chasing chasing waterfalls, if you will, um, all the way up out of the valley into 
into uh, Yosemite Valley, Tuolumne Meadows area. Um, that, that was an awesome trip. Okay. And we're going to talk about uh, some of your experiences here in just a little bit, but I wanted to ask just in, uh, um, to inform our next segment, which is the must bring gear review sponsored by the ultralight backpacking gear company, outdoor vitals. And so here, here's how it works. Uh, if you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Kevin, what's your must bring piece of gear? I've really enjoyed having a sleeping back liner. Um, I found it, it's a game changer with regards to warmth. Um, and I also think it probably preserves the life of the bag. I haven't gotten to a point where I've needed to replace, replace any bags yet, but, uh, yeah, the, the liner has been amazing and it's relatively lightweight. I've got a, I've got a silk one from, I think C to summit is the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's been a game changer. I was recently camping in Yosemite in the snow I was actually shedding layers, um, in this little liner. I was also in a little tent with another, with another body. So I was a little warm, I guess, but, uh, was shedding layers and this, this liner really, really held up its weight. So, uh, really appreciate the, the folks over at Sea to Summit for making that. Yeah. Sleeping bag liners, you can get them in varying, uh, degrees of assistance, I guess you would call it. I mean, it could, it could add an, an additional 10, 10 degrees, 15 degrees, 20 degrees, depending on the, you know, the, the, the composition of the sleeping bag liner. So it could, it could, you could have a, maybe a summer bag and you're going out in the fall. And if you take a liner that, that could possibly help you in that area. And it also, like you said, it keeps the bag clean and, and preserves the, the lifetime of the bag. So, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I think I've got a 20 degree bag, um, with like a five degree liner and that held up and we got snowed on for a foot. Um, and it held up pretty well, I'd say. Okay. Fantastic. Hey, I've got another segment, uh, relating to gear helps us talk about some gear and your reasoning behind your gear. And I call this segment, the hiking pole and it's not uh, P O L E it's P O L L. It's a little, little clever awesome. play on <laughs> words there. Uh, and this is going to help me determine where you fall on the craziness scale. All right. All right. Okay. So I'm going to give you a score at the end of this. I've got uh, six questions for you. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. We'll start off easy. Trekking poles or no trekking poles? Uh, I go trekking poles. Yeah. Did you have any, any uh, concerns about using trekking poles at first? I did um, in that I thought it was going to be clunky and unwieldy. Um, but I found with any sort of crossings and, or if my knee starts acting up, it's just, it's an amazing way to, um, I don't know, just get the extra like support and stuff that you need. Um, if you're going through anything slippery and, you know, I, I really used them actually quite heavily on the third day of, um, um, the lost coast trail. I was you know, climbing over those boulders and sand, just mixed terrain. It, it really cemented that those extra grams are, are worth it for me in case, I come up with any, any terrain that seems unwieldy. So I now pack it, even if I know it's going to be a small hike, just, just to have them. It's kind of a nice little psychological safety, if you will. Yes. So far, you're not too crazy. You, uh, I wholeheartedly agree with that assessment. They are very, very helpful. And I think people have an initial concern of, I'm going to look, I'm going to look funny with these. I don't know how to use these. And there's a, maybe an initial reluctance to use them, but, but once you have them, I mean, there's no going back. Absolutely. Okay. Boots or trail runners? I go boots. Um, I like the, I like the ability to splash around or get, get mucked up if I need to. Um, 
And yeah, I haven't actually explored any, any trail runners. I've never, I've never hiked with or done any long distance stuff with, with trail, just trail runners. Okay. Well, if you ever do long distance, I mean, all the long distance, um, hikers, they swear by the, by the trail runners. Mm-hmm. What, what kind of, what kind of boots do you use? What brand? Um, I think I've got some oboes right now. And then I just bought, actually, I just bought some Arterix trail runners. Um, but I haven't used them on any hikes yet. Okay. Well, you have to give them a try and let us know how it goes. Definitely. Okay. Tent, tarp, or hammock? Oh, so I have all three and I'd say it depends <laughs> on the occasion. Um, I actually hammocked a lot in the East coast. I just feel like there's more tree, more accessible trees to swing up, uh, to swing up a hammock on. Um, I would tarp if, it's bike packing. I found that's pretty easy to do. And I've actually used my bike as part of the teepee. Um, and then just, you know, blue tarped it. And now I've got a little teepee set up. Um, and then, um, yeah, tent for, for most everything else. Okay. What, uh, what percentage would you assign to each one of those in terms of how, how often you use them? Ooh, um, I think probably mostly tent. Um, I mostly am, you know, camping or, uh, yeah, I think I'm mostly camping in hiking and backpacking, um, the trail, uh, like our bike packing is still, I guess, becoming a bigger hobby. Um, so I'm starting to use the tent or the tarp a little bit more. Um, but I've actually packed with, uh, with some paneers, um, and I've used the tent before as well, but I think I'm going to change that setup soon. So I'd say 80% tent, if 70% tent. Um, and then 20 ish percent tarp, um, the hammock was only for a few times when I was out on the East coast and camping. Got it. Now the, the, the tarp, do you use it exclusively with the bike as part of a kind of a, a single, uh, type of pitch with, with the bike involved, or do you experiment with different pitches with the tarp? I haven't experimented too much with the tarp. Um, it's mostly just like, um, let's see, I tie off the um i have both sides and maybe it's like an a-frame i guess except instead of a string in the middle i use just the bike it's not much room but i just slide right underneath and hope it doesn't rain but it's enough coverage where uh where i'm generally generally protected but um there was there was one actually my first bike packing trip was a little bit of a stealth camping and uh definitely thought i heard some animals coming up on me in the middle of the night um so i know i kind of slept with my knife next to my face just trying to be prepared and you know whipped it out flashed the headlight on and, um, you know, thought I heard some sort of cat or something, uh, couldn't figure out what it was in the morning. Uh, but I definitely wished I'd packed a tent at that, that trip moment. Because that, that thick tent wall is going to protect you from that mountain lion or the bear. It's, 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 it's yeah, exactly. <laughs> the super, super thick, like two millimeter <laughs> tent wall would, would have protected me. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds kind of cramped with the bike there serving as the, the structure for the A-frame. Um, and I realize that you don't carry, you probably don't carry hiking poles, trekking poles when you're bikepacking, but if you ever do take the tarp out when you're, you're backpacking, you can use your, your trekking poles to, to set up a variety of different types of pitches with the, with the tarp. So. Awesome. Yeah. I'll have to take note of that. I know, uh, I, I've definitely played around the structures. I just enjoy playing with guidelines at rope. If you ever got time to kill it, uh, kind of taken, taken the path back off and just kind of messing around for lunch and definitely played around with random guy line structures. But um, yeah, I haven't formally set anything up and slept under it outside of using my, my bike. Okay. 
Now, how about a sleeping bag or a quilt? Uh, I've never tried a quilt, um, except car camping, I guess, but that doesn't doesn't really count for the adventure folks. That's more like the night before, before you wake up and have those early morning calls. So um, I'm, yeah, I'm a sleeping bag all the way right now. Okay. A mummy bag or? Yeah. Mummy bag. Mummy bag. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, here's really, this. here's one that's going to help me determine your level of, of uh, sanity. Sto- uh, stove, cold soak or stoveless? Ooh, uh, I generally stove it. Yeah, actually, almost a hundred percent stove. Okay, um, I can see how that would test the sanity levels. I haven't quite gotten in the cold soak yet. Um, I do. I have done multi days on just Cliff bars and actually Costco mango slices and gummy bears. Uh, those are kind of my that's my my holy trinity of snacks is just some, some sort of protein bar and then mango slices and gummy bears. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty much uh, the closest I've gotten to maybe a cold soak. It's not quite a real meal if you will but um i don't know how much of those you know cold soak folks are are really getting i mean maybe you're getting a full full meal's worth i haven't really dove in too deep into that pool yet yeah unless you're soaking the bars and the mango in a jar full of water it's not uh, it wouldn't be cold soak you're going that's stoveless and i guess that's stoveless yeah stoveless yeah and your your description of the holy trinity of snacks i love that that's fantastic Oh, so yeah, then I guess it's, it's mostly stove or, or stoveless. There's no, I haven't tried the cold soak yet. Okay. And if you were to hike a long trail, like the PCT, the CDT or the AT, mm-hmm. should it be hiked northbound or southbound? I generally think southbound is the way I would approach it. Um, I think trying to get through the mountains, or at least here's my, my, I guess reasoning right now is like trying to get the elevation out of the way and then flattening out and just going for those miles um, on the back end make sense. Also, I think it's more predictable from the seasons, but I could be totally off there based on, on weather and how people maybe flip that um, to get into some more rainy territories or escape the rain, depending on when they start. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think the elevation and the Weather are the two biggest factors I'd say that apply for me thinking going southbound is the right move. Okay. Now some of my listeners are going to disagree with me, but you were going so well until that question. So I, I kind of, that kind of took you down on the, on the scale. Oh no. I'm, I'm going I'm to give you an 83, 83. So, 83, solid, so solid, solid score. Right. Okay. So not, not quite too crazy. Not too, one. not, not quite too crazy. <laughs> Just, you know, getting closer. Yeah. All right. Very good. Hey, uh, before we get too far down the trail, let's back up a little bit. And we'd love to hear about your background, kind of your origin story, where you grew up, did you play any sports and hobbies in high school, and how you got involved in the outdoor adventure cult? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Southern California, um, pretty close to a beach. And so was just always going to the beach with friends. Um, I actually had this tree, tree in my backyard. So before going to the beach and getting the driver's license and all that, um, I spent many, many days in my backyard with my brothers. I've got two brothers uh, and we would just play in the tree. Uh, we loved climbing all just doing sort of all sorts of gymnastics. We've got a trampoline too. So just kind of spent a lot of time as like what I considered the like childish, innocent fun of just being outside. And that's, I really associated a lot of that, um, I don't know, kind of escape after any sort of stress or homework, I'd go outside and just like still try and plant the tree when I was probably way too old to be up in that thing. Um, but then I started getting into hammocking and so I'd read the book and string up a hammock in the tree. 
Um, and then, yeah, I started swimming and playing water polo all through high school. Um, didn't carry too much of that into college, but I also grew up uh, mountain biking a bit. So um, was all through Laguna Canyon and kind of um, the, the canyons down in southern, southern Orange County. Um, got introduced to backpacking, though, I think when I was 15 or 16 with a church group. Um, we had gone to, or we were going into Inyo forest, um, and we're trying to, I forgot what mountain it was now. I don't even remember what, what highways, you know, I'm too young to kind of remember some of that stuff, but I remember getting most of the way up and then, um, someone actually had gotten altitude sickness. And so he wasn't feeling so hot. And so like I volunteered to stay with him while the rest of the group had finished that summit. I remember being so torn up, like coming back with this guy, um, but we, you know, didn't want to leave him alone, obviously. And like the chaperones were going with the majority of the group. So I, you know, I went back to camp and I remember the, the guys came back and they were just so amped about, you know, bagging the peak or, or whatever the, the mountain we were close to was at the time. Um, now, just hang, on, like, hang on a second, Kevin. One of the chaperones didn't stay behind with the guy. They made, they made another camper stay behind with the guy. Yeah, I, I went back with the guy. We, he was like, yeah, I'll just go back. And so I ended up, it was just me and him. I had no idea what I was doing or looking after this guy. He was just like, yeah, just go down some elevation. You'll be fine. So the chaperone, the chaperones wanted to peek bag. I said, I'm not missing this opportunity. Let's <laughs> let's put Kevin on this guy. That's what it seemed like. That's what it seemed like. Uh, at, the, at the time, I was like, you know, we're just all being friendly and you know, I'll come back. But I just remember them getting back and I was just, I was a little upset. You know, I was like, dang, I Absolutely. didn't get that shot. Um, and that's really one of the first times. And I was just so stoked to be out in like, you know, in the back country. And all oh, the other thing we cooked, uh, or we had prepped potatoes and foil and just like made the campfire and then like, stashed them in the ashes or stashed them in like the, the hearth, the fire and cooked up on dinner that way. And that was the first time I'd had like a, a meal of like that kind of like that wild. Um, but it was, oh, it was such a good baked potato that night. I remember being stoked. You could cook food that way. I was like, Why don't we play with fire more often? <laughs> wait a second you can cook without microwaves yeah right it was it was mind-blowing um <laughs> needless to say i did sign up for another hiking trip with them uh this time it wasn't up in the mountains we went down uh the pch and ended up camping on the beach uh, but it was actually a, it was a bike trip with a caravan so um didn't have to carry weight it was my first 50 miler um and got a chance to go down to you know 25 miles from home and 25 miles back but that was a fun overnight as well and kind of the same same group there and you mentioned some some brothers. Do they also uh, have your same love for outdoor adventure? So, yes and no. Um, I think they have that same love for exploration. Um, you know, younger brother does a lot of international traveling. You know, the one bag and kind of get up and go. Um, so gifted with a camera, it's amazing. Um, and then the older brother has actually worked for uh, the Trust for Public Land for a bit. Um, and has done some conservation work um, and, and is looking for kind of planning work up in the PNW area. But um, he's done a lot of, um, yeah, he's done a lot of like, I guess, smaller backpacking stuff. He used to live outside East LA and has, you know, done a lot of the, the mountains and, and regions there. Um, we used to do this New Year's trip actually for about five or six years where, you know, I'd, wherever we were, I would fly down to him or he'd come up to me and we would just kind of spend new year's together going off and finding some blm land and camping wherever it wasn't it wasn't the hardcore like backpacking type stuff but it was car camping it was family time and uh we got a chance to just you know explore new areas together and i think kelso sand dunes was um was a really cool trip for us one year we 
we ended up camping in like the high desert. It was supposed to, I guess, it was like a 20% chance of 0.5 inches of rain. Uh, ended up snowing on us that night. <laughs> we were not prepared for that at all. Uh, so I just from waking up to like the whoosh, whoosh, whoosh sound from outside the tent. Uh, and I was like, what is going on? I'm like rolling over. Everyone looks like they're no skin flags, but you know, it's, it's dark. And so I get outside and expecting to like have to fight something off. And it's my brother with a broom sweeping the snow off. <laughs> woke up it was like three or four in the morning and we just tried to like pack up tent uh, pack up the camp a bit make it snowproofed and then just stayed up and watched the sunrise it's kind of a nice nice little memory i have of my brother camping yeah blm land bureau of land management um with many of the trails especially in california many of the trails you need permits mm-hmm. and you gotta you know sign up six months in advance and try and get on there right at the right time online to to, to get that permit and get your reservation so you can hike during a certain time of the year. Uh, but with BLM, BLM, there are no, there is not a permit process. It's open. It's open to the public. You can, you can camp where, wherever you want. Right. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's some, obviously some rules and regulations around um, how to use the space and how to, how to use a space, uh, space in a way that's, you know, for the public. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I would say, if you're looking for like the non-permit, a little more isolated type land, I mean, you're not going to have the same types of like features like a Yosemite Valley would, but I do think there's a lot of awesome protected land, especially up on the kind of east coast or east border of California. That's a lot of just what kind of preserved BLM land that's makes for some really awesome uh, adventure weekend adventures. If you're, if you're willing to go out and kind of rough it and find, find that stuff for yourself, because it's definitely less traveled. Yeah, I think our listeners, the people who listen to this podcast, they're they're up for that adventure. You know, they they love roughing it. So that's that's a great great suggestion. Now you mentioned you grew up in Southern Orange County. You talking Mission Viejo area? Kind of uh, Laguna Niguel, actually. Laguna Niguel. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, played played Mission Viejo High School in uh, a lot of water polo matches. Those were the Diablos. Fun. Yep. Yeah. What was Laguna Niguel? What was their mascot? Uh, we were so the high school is called Aliso Niguel because it's a blend of Aliso, Aliso Viejo mm-hmm. and Laguna Niguel, and we were the Wolverines. The okay. Wolverines, yeah. All right, and did you prevail in most of the contests against the Diablos? Oh, from what I remember, they were generally no. I'd, I'd say we were pretty even. If not, they were better at water polo, and I think we were better at swimming. But I I could be misremembering that. I remember Capo used to wreck us, um, but Tesoro was our, our true rival. Um, and that was the, the Cota de Casa kids. Um, their right. high school was built after ours, but a mirror image of ours. So we always thought they just copied us and moved out to the Canyon. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was always the game of the year. Uh, the water polo game of the year was against the Tesoro kids. Yeah. Capistrano, they're a, they're an aquatic powerhouse from what I, from what I've heard. It's impressive. I don't know what's in their water 40 minutes up the coast, but something's different and it's, it's, uh, it's impressive. All right. Hey, and what are you doing these days to pay the bills and fund your, your adventures? I work for a tech startup right now. Um, we're an immigration legal tech startup um, and I'm doing revenue operations. So like go to market strategy and business analytics. Um, it's, definitely paying the bills. Um, it's fun. Uh, it's, it's honestly a really, really fun company to be a part of pretty early stage startup. We're around 30 people. So get to wear a number of hats, um, which keeps me, keeps me definitely intellectually stimulated with 
every day is something different, right? Whether it's sales operations or sales strategy or starting to play with more on the marketing and demand gen side. It's uh, yeah, it's kind of a interesting little niche to them. I think at times forces my hand to say, okay, I need to unplug for a bit and go on some, some bigger adventures and just forget about my laptop for a bit. If it's intellectually stimulating, that's, that's code words for you're working your tail off. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. There, yeah. there are definitely some nights that are, that are a little long. Um, but I do think like the, the mission of the company is such that I feel really good about it. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a really interesting problem. Um, when you start to dive into like what, what we're trying to solve for and um, yeah, and just kind of help make immigration a little bit easier for folks. So um, it's, it's worth it. I think at the end of the day. Very good. And where are you located? Are you in Boulder? I think Boulder, Colorado. Uh, I'm actually in uh, San Francisco. So I'm based out of the Bay. San Francisco. Why did I think Boulder? Do you have some Boulder on your timeline? Uh, I have a little bit of Boulder. Yeah. I've got a friend out there. Um, Shout out to Maggie. Um, she's, we've been maybe thinking about planning a Boulder backpacking trip. She actually just bought a gravel bike. So I'm pretty excited for her there. We're maybe going to get some gravel riding in the next time I visit, but, um, yeah, I can't, I can't think of any bad thing to say about Boulder. I would, I think it's a wonderful spot. Yeah. If you can't be in California with all of the, the outdoor adventure possibilities here, Boulder's not a, not a bad uh, place to be either. Not a bad place to stop. Yep. I agree. Okay. Now, earlier on, you mentioned the Lost Coast. I didn't see that on our, our list of discussion points, but I want to hit on it because I, I have uh, considered doing the Lost Coast. I've done a lot of research on the Lost Coast uh, over mm-hmm. the years, and it just sounds like an incredible experience. How long ago did you do that? We did it in, I'm laughing because it was the start of the pandemic. Um, so I think it was either February or I think it might have been mid-February of 2020. And I remember specifically we were going into the weekend and COVID was on the news in China at the time. And the world was kind of starting to get a little anxious about what, uh, about what was going to happen. I remember we were like, okay, we're going into three days of, of no service. Like who knows what will, what will end up escaping on the other side of it. And the, the joke is we were ending at Shelter Cove. All right. That's one of the, the areas where you pop out on the Northern section of the Lost Coast uh, well, like, should we just shelter in Cove? Like, should we should we stay here at shelter in place? Was kind of the, the mandate coming out at the time, and uh, like, should we just shelter in Cove? And and you know, we unfortunately made the decision to go back to back to SF, which I think was the safe and smart move. But it was kind of funny for a bit to entertain the idea of just living out on the on the Lost Coast and finding some rations and <laughs> figuring it out. <laughs> yeah, there are so many times in the last five years where. You, you go out on the, go out on the trail and you're in, in, in communicado with the entire world. And you, you're wondering, you know, if I, when I come back out, is my phone just going to blow up with some huge piece of earth shattering news or not? It was, yeah. uh, I remember, I remember that feeling vividly, you know, just what is going on while I'm out of touch with everybody else. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, you go out for a few weeks, come back, there's a new variant. And I just remember doing that once or twice. Like, oh, damn <laughs> like what what mutation is gonna happen now like when do we get zombies coming out of this and this, I right. just remember just i don't do i want to turn my phone off airplane mode do i do i really want to know what's going on in the world right now uh but unfortunately it always kind of ends up you got to come back at some point yeah now let's uh for our listeners out there who may not be familiar with the lost coast trail let's uh let's fill them in this is on the um uh, coast of northern california 
And there was a highway. Was it Highway 1 that was going to be extended along the coast there? And they eventually decided it was too rugged, it was too rough, and they they gave up on it. But there's this kind of abandoned, in some places, highway. But it, 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 this is the basis for the trail, the Lost Coast Trail. Yeah, so there's like a north and south section, from what I understand, um, out by Humboldt County. And they effectively were trying to make the one go all the way up the coast as, as much as they could hug the coastline as possible. And this is the only section where they really deemed it, it really just too rugged um, to be able to build any sort of really long-standing structure there. So they decided to, to pull it inland. Um, so you'd end up with, I think it's like 30 miles or a little, bit, a little bit longer than 30 miles or so of just this pristine untouched coastline that kind of tucks behind uh, I don't, I don't know if I'd call it a, a range, but it's at least like a pretty steep hill uh, or a pretty steep hilly section that um, is just beautiful, untouched beach. Uh, one of the interesting things that I think this trail provides specifically or the coastline um, is that there are certain impassable zones that make it a little more fun and challenging um, because if you don't time the tides right, you know, there's, I think there's reports of people being sucked out by the tide uh, but generally, I think, you know, you, if you use your brain, you see that the pass is, is covered. You shouldn't try and, you know, run past the, the long section of the beach unprotected. So, um, yeah, timing the, the tides was definitely another added fun element um, for, for one of my friends. It was one of his, like, first or second backpacking trips. And he was like, what's this, what's this time thing that we have to do? Like, what does that mean if we, have, if we don't make it? Like, what is impassable? And he was like, you know, a little, little more in his head about it. Uh, I wouldn't, wouldn't say this is a beginner backpacking trip by any means, especially a, a you know, point A to point B hike and with cars and shuttling. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's quite awesome. Uh, there's lots of mixed terrain too. Yeah, you definitely need to know the, the, the tide times, high tide, low tide uh, before you go. And if you don't know them, if you get to a part that's impassable, if the water is coming up so far that you can't get through, well, that's where you're camping uh, for, the, for the near term until the tides recede a little bit before, so you can get across. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> now, one of, the, one of the two topics that people talk about on the trail, any trail, is food and bodily functions. So we're going to, we're going to venture into Bali functions here just for a second on the lost coast, because I think in my research for the lost coast, one of the things they recommended was that you do in your business down below, uh, uh, close to the The water line. Yeah. The Mm -hmm. water line. Is that, is that true? Is that accurate? I actually don't remember. And I don't know if I was just like trying to black this out or I just didn't, (laughs) I just held it in all, all trip. I don't, I don't remember. oh man oh there's your trail name prairie dog yeah (laughs) um yeah that's that's, i guess a good one um yeah i think we we did end up bringing like uh those little you know poop shovels and things uh but i can't remember sneaking away and using it over the two days Uh, it seems there's i was gonna say it seems it seems counterintuitive to me that they would want you to poop at the water line Mm-hmm. It's like, it like goes against everything that I've ever heard about going, going to the beach or, you know, you know, staying away from, the, from a water source when you're doing your business. But right. I remember, I remember reading that in the guidance for the Lost Coast Trail. Yeah, I guess if it's like, you know, it's not contaminating the water source such that the ocean won't backflow up into the streams. Um, you know, you're talking about the, the mecca of all water sources at that point. And we, I mean, there's, there's probably worse stuff in that ocean uh, that, that's coming up and down as long as it's not, I guess, rolling back onto shore. 
um, and you're burying it a bit. In the yeah, time. you got to you got to dig a hole. Got to dig a hole right at the right at the water line yeah. and, and do your business. Which also, you know, there's not a lot of trees to hide behind when you're doing that. So that you're you're you're, you're pretty exposed. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of sneaky places to hide on that trail. Like it it was a straight shot beach line pretty much most of the way. Uh, which was awesome because you know you can't really get lost per se. If you lose the group, you just keep the ocean on the right and <laughs> follow the coastline. Um, so I felt good about bringing my friend on that because, like, dude, there's no way you get lost. You just just walk along the water. Uh, but but yeah, there's not much uh, much privacy unless you can find one of the bluffs and find one of the like foot trails that'll sneak you up. I think we camped one of the nights up on a up on a bluff, and it was uh, it was quite scenic. Waking up, looking at, at the ocean, and um, and just oh, actually we had we had thought it was going to rain that day so we were prepared for full rain all saturday um and luckily the forecast was wrong and it rained overnight so we woke up with like that fresh nice rain like you know the, i don't know what the clouds are but the really kind of fluffy cumulus that had just blown over past the rain clear blue skies after expecting us to like wake up in this like stormy stormy weather um and yeah, we're just pleasantly surprised to see just this perfect crystal Pacific ocean and blue skies. And we woke up and, you know, no clouds on the horizon. So that was definitely a highlight of the morning and it ended up just being an epic day. Yeah. Beach camping is pretty epic in itself. I know that, you know, I've done the trans Catalina trail a couple of times and Parsons landing, at, you know, it's on the beach. And that was one of my favorite nights of, of, uh, of hiking just because of the, you know, the ocean waves and seeing the mainland from, from Parsons beach, the lights on in long beach and San Pedro, uh, ranks right up there with one of my, one of my top campsites ever. So, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I haven't actually camped on Catalina, but that's on the list for me. Um, but yeah, falling asleep to the waves is, is such, or, or just running water in general, if you get a chance to camp somewhat close to those streams or, or rivers or next to you, I think those are just such pleasant ways to fall asleep. Yep. All right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear some more hiking stories and get into some, some biking stories as well. You've got some extensive biking experience we want to hear about. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. The John Freakin' Muirpod is sponsored by Outdoor Vitals, the ultralight backpacking gear company whose mission is to improve the mental, physical, and emotional health of mankind by facilitating impactful outdoor experiences. Outdoor Vitals creates innovative technical products with confidence inspiring education that empower outdoor ultralight adventurers. Their focus on performance enables you to live ultralight with gear you can actually be confident with. Whether you're looking for an ultralight sleep system, shelter, or pack, or if you're looking for top quality apparel for the trail, you can find it at Outdoor Vitals. 
do yourself a favor. Live ultra light. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your pod- podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We're talking to Kevin Gong uh, about his, his backpacking experiences as well as some upcoming bikepacking experiences here. And uh, we left talking about the Lost Coast. Um, what other types of backpacking experiences have you had out there? I know that uh, on the outline here, I see Trinity Alps. Did you, did you spend some time in the, in, the, in the Trinity Alps? Yeah, Trinity Alps is a good one. Um, I've definitely spent a little bit of time, I'd say. Not a lot and definitely want to go back for more. Um, this, this trip was quite a lot of planning, trying to figure out, um, you know, I, I've had multiple friends recommend this, this area to me as something that's, um, a little less trafficked, a little harder to get to, right. It's up past running. So in my area, it's five, six hour drive just to get out there. Um, a little less populous and a little less signage as well. So the trails sometimes, depending on where you're trying to go, there's not much of a trail depending on the season. Um, so you're kind of like bushwhacking or if you lose a trail, you're just, you know, GPS and compass and or compass and map or trying to figure it out somehow. That's uh, always a little know. exciting when there's, there's not enough signage and the, the trail kind of disappears on you. Yeah. Yeah. We were really looking forward to it. I think the, the way we're trying to go, I think was a China, was it China camp or Grizzly Gulch um, to, to China Lake or something. Um, I can't remember the exact word now but or the exact trail right now uh, because we never actually got to it uh, and that's part of the the fun story there so we had taken the day off and planned to drive up um or no we we worked half days drove up so it's now like 11 or something and we're you know deep into this car ride well past snacks well past like the the top hits in the in the playlists it's starting to get into just whatever you got downloaded on your spotify or whatever um and we're trying to figure out you know we're i think on a forest road almost at the point where we're turning off onto like the road for the trailhead um and we heard this just sudden pop um and hit a sharp rock in uh, my friend's car and rolled on it for a bit. The low pressure light went on. But we're like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. Um, kept rolling on it for a little bit longer because we were less than two miles from the trailhead. Um, and we're like, no, we should we should look because we're on this single lane fire road, middle of the night now. And we haven't seen a car in hours. Um, and we're just we're just out there. So we're like, okay, this this doesn't feel right. Like everyone was kind of looking at each other, like seeing how comfortable it was because we had just driven so far already to go on this epic adventure for the weekend. Um, but no, unfortunately, flat tire. Um, so everyone was looking around. So who's changed a tire before? Anyone? Anyone? No one. Like none of us had changed a tire. Um, I had kind of knew how to do it. So, uh, you know, 
change out the alternating lug nuts and take the wheel off. We luckily had the spare in the back, but now we're on a donut. We're on a forest road, which isn't well, well groomed to begin with up in Trinity Alps. Um, but we're a mile away from this trailhead. So we're like, well, like what's the risk? What's the pros cons? Talked it out over um, our, our tire fire is what we called it. We had put the uh, the tire, the flat one in the middle and just set up our our, uh, our chairs around it as if it was a fire in the middle of this forest road because we had nowhere else to go. Um, had put the donut on and we're like, we're just gonna sleep here and figure it out in the morning. And so it we came to the realization though that we've probably turned back, um, which then meant two nights worth of food and shenanigans could be consumed in one night um and so we just you know got to town on the beers and whiskey and ate all the camping food we wanted and snacked and then you know kind of just hung out went to bed woke up in the morning um drove really really slowly on that donut on the way out saw no other cars um and uh yeah we had to retreat quite a bit but we ended up going on a different hike in the area to some lakes so kind of salvaged the day found another alpine lake to swim in uh which ended up being a really cool hike but definitely want to go back to trinity alps to to find uh to find that trail again so you were a mile away from the trailhead and you guys decided to turn around and drive back we had to drive you'd have to drive back anyway right i mean if you go one mile further do the hike and you come out you have to drive back anyway right that yeah we had to drive back anyway but the tire was what we were most concerned about because we eventually had to get home and we knew that donut would not take us home, um, nor did we know any mechanics in the air. We didn't have service. And so we were just like, let's just get on a road and pick a direction. I think it's what, like 50 miles is like the, not the warranty limit, but like what they advise. So we're like, we don't even know within 50 miles what we're going to find. Um, and we would have rather figured that out on Saturday than having to do it Sunday or Monday, um, because it was a, it was a pretty long trek that we were planning. I think we were planning for a Monday return and, uh, yeah, we're just not willing to risk it at that point. So no, uh, ended up on the donut. That was, that was a fun experience. And we'd all have like, was this a tire hold up? Like no one changed his tire. They were all blind faith in me. And, you know, luckily I, I think I figured it out just fine. So we got out of there and the mechanic actually, I, oh, I wish I had the mechanic shop because they changed it, patched the tire for us, didn't charge us anything and said, you're welcome. Like, just go have on your day, like be on your way. It's, it's no, no charge to us at all. Like enjoy uh, oh man too, I, ma- too bad we can't recognize them here on the on the pod yeah yeah let me see if i can maybe find it but i, I just can't recall it was just such such a random little town ta- i mean we picked left like that was the way we found this <laughs> it was on a shop we're like left or right on the main road the left let's go and just <laughs> ended up finding this tire this uh this mechanic <laughs> and what what shape was the donut tire in at the when you showed it to the mechanic shop um, I think it was all right. I, I don't, you know, I don't have too much exposure with donuts, which I think is a, is all right. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it was fine. Oh, Valley tire and tackle. There we go. Out of Fort Jones, California, Valley tire and tackle. Those guys are great. All right. Shout out to those guys. Nice job. Now I think I, you should always follow the, the written instructions on how, how, uh, to handle driving on a, a donut tire, of course, speed limit and distance and all of that. But we did have a, a pre- previous guest who talked about, he was on a trip and he was in a similar situation where he was out in the middle of nowhere and he was almost there and got a flat tire. And, uh, the tire was actually, the lug nuts were rusted. He, he went to sleep. He said, he did just like you guys, I'm, I'm just going to sleep on it. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to look at it. And he got up the next morning and 
had to use a rock to beat on the, the, the rim to loosen the, loosen the lug nuts. Eventually he was able to get them off and he put the donut on and he says, you know what? I'm almost here. I'm just going to, I'm just going to go for it. And so he, he did his hike. He came back and he drove like 300 miles on this. Uh, oh. Maybe it wasn't 300 miles, but it was, it was something ridiculous. Significant, Two, yeah. 200 miles at least on this donut uh, out in the middle of nowhere on rough, rough roads. And he made it back. So uh, you know, the written instructions are going to tell you, you know, what you Love should it. do, but there's, there's a little bit of extra in there, I think. So there, there always is that little bit of extra. That's like when gas tanks tell you they're empty and they still got 20 miles. You can sometimes get away with it. You know, you're like, yeah, I know my car well enough. I can get another 20 out of this. Yeah. Am I going uh, downhill? Am I downwind? Yeah. We, we'll go a little bit for the next, next, next gas station for sure. I did that in Yosemite. Actually, I was out of fuel and was just driving in neutral on all the downhills um and yeah just coasting and ho- hoping to get to a gas station which ended up working out but uh I, I don't know if that's a a myth to be busted or not but if someone out there knows i'd love to know if part or pulling it into neutral when you're coasting downhill if that saves gas or not so we drove through utah this reminds me of a story we drove through utah on the way to this is a family of five it's my me and my wife my three kids who are all little at this point and we're driving out to colorado from california for a baseball tournament that my, my son's team had qualified for. And so uh, we left arches, we hiked in arches and we left arches and we got on the road and I didn't realize what, what our gas situation was. Didn't, didn't look, didn't, didn't think to look. I, I guess I was just so stoked about, you know, the, the hiking in arches baseball, yeah. 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 and baseball. Yeah. Right. So uh, I, I pass a sign and it says, you know, next, next service. Um, I don't know, 90 something miles, hundred something, something miles. And I look down and I've got like, nowhere near that. And so we're, we're driving the smart thing, of course, in hindsight, it's always 2020 the smart side, the smart thing would be to stop, turn around and go back the 20 miles to, to the town that had the gas station that you just came from. Right. Mm-hmm. But no, I'm thinking, you know, we're going to try and make it. And so I remember drafting, I call it drafting. I was right behind a big rig, you know, trying to have the, have the, the, the big rig pushed the air and, and just yep. suck, suck me along behind it to, you know, conserve as much gas as possible and end up rolling off the off ramp into the town of Fruta. And there was a gas station right there, but it was, it was touch or go. It was very stressful in the car, of course, with, yeah. with three kids and, and everything else going on, but it was, it was crazy. Yeah. That's when you wish they weren't paying attention to how you were driving, right? You wish they were causing commotion in the backseat, but no, everyone's watching you at that yeah. point, I'm sure. Yeah. She, my wife says, why are you tailgating? I said, I'm not tailgating. I'm drafting. <laughs> yeah. Drafting, drafting. Actually, if we get into some of the biking stuff, I've definitely drafted quite a bit off folks and, you know, different version of gas versus energy conservation when it comes coming from human powered, but uh, you know, drafting, tailgating, whatever you want to call it, it works. Yeah. And there was a town before Fruta that I got off the, I got off the freeway and I was looking for a gas station. There was a gas station there, but it, it was closed. It was boarded up, it, mm. you know, out of business and end up in a neighborhood. And I see these people kind of on the front porch and, you know, I'm, I motioned to them. Like, I want to ask them where, where's the closest gas station. And I'm, I'm idling on fumes. Right. I mean, there's gotta be nothing left. And this guy sees me and he comes walking, walking down from the porch and he is walking very slowly. And I'm like, oh man, you gotta, you gotta hurry up, man. I'm in a, I'm in a situation here. And yeah. he, he, uh, he talked just as slow as he walked. And so he, you know, it was, it was not the city lifestyle. It was all very, take your time, 
And I, I was cursing the whole time, getting back on the on, getting back on the, uh, the on-ramp in the highway and then thinking about how much gas I'm using to get back up to speed here. And, but it yeah, all worked I, out. It all worked <laughs> out. It's a good story. Type two fun. Definitely some type two fun there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now, have you spent any time in the Sierras? Um, I've done a, well, I've done a little bit of Tahoe, um, but not much in like outside of Yosemite, like backcountry, or I guess in Kings and Inyo or Sierras. I've done Whitney though. I guess that definitely well, counts as the that Sierras, definitely right? counts. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it, we did. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say, you, and it's not just any any old hill in the Sierras. I mean, it's it's Whitney that you've done. That's the that's the big boy. It was a big boy. Yeah, it was a uh, definitely one of those like covid should we do it should we not um scenarios but ended up all the permits and permit lottery stuff worked out and so we just said we're, we're doing this um yeah and i was like are we trained for this do we need training for this uh, you know all those questions and you're thinking about wait this is this is what what mound again the lowest uh, the tallest in the lower 40, 48 oh okay great yeah it sounds like a sounds like a cakewalk right uh, but luckily a friend a friend jackie and, and me had kind of started planning this thing out and started rallying our, our crew together um and yeah we planned for a night first night out alabama hills um so blm land right in the base mm-hmm. of um off the 395 there gorgeous campsite i love that campsite so much um and then yeah the next day went up whitney portal packed it in we went the mountaineering route um we also went in the summer so there wasn't ice which was in that little there's ice at the end and that's for a different, that, that's related in the story. Um, but there wasn't supposed to be too much ice. Um, and yeah, it's, I think it's eight miles uh, around eight miles round trip or so. Um, and it's up to 14. So you start Winnie portal around 8,000, just all of a sudden you're pretty much doing a stair stepper all the way up. And pretty, pretty steep. I mean, are there ropes in place in some sections? No, there's Our no cables? ropes. You you kind of think there should be in certain sections. Actually, there were so there are two sections I'd say got got pretty dicey. Um, one specifically uh, are these the section of the hike called the ledges, um, and it's really interesting because a lot of the I mean the notes. If you do enough research, you feel very comfortable on the on the approach. Uh, but looking at these things, it's just three ledges. That's really what it is, and you have to climb up through a tree uh is pretty much how you get to the first one you're like hugging up against the the brush on one side climbing up through a tree um you know we, we took back or i think two of the folks took backpacks off and tried to pass it up on the way up or on the way down um man that section was was dicey though because you're just trying to find the next line trying to find where to pull yourself up and you've got this pack weighing you backwards so you know that if you fall backwards that's you know you're, you're falling a, a significant distance there um so yeah, that's the three different ledges we had to climb up and over. And then we camped at Iceberg Lake the first night. Um, and that's around 12,000. I guess this is the second night of the trip now. So around 12,000. And, uh, or Boy Scout or Ice, Boy Scout Lake, sorry, that was around 10. And then we got up to Iceberg, which is 12. And then the final push was, was the 14. So Boy Scout Lake, we're getting up there. My friend starts developing signs of altitude sickness and, you know, she, she just not looking great and so we like stopped for a lunch break um and we're trying to get water fluids the works meanwhile she's just slowly curling up into a ball and it just it's not looking pretty and um she's always been one that uh really appreciates maps and directions and planning like that's that's her thing when we plan trips like i'll 
double check for food and a few other pieces of first aid, carry the extra gear, um, her things, the directions. She loves maps. Um, and I just remember this moment so vividly where she's like not looking great. She reaches down in her pack, pulls out the map and gives it to me. And I was just like, Oh no, like this is, this is bad. <laughs> like she never wants to give this map up. And, uh, you know, her, her and her boyfriend were assessing the situation. They're like, you three go up ahead. Um, you know, we'll, you, you guys can go up. We'll, we'll make it if we can, if not, we're going to go back. And I just like, such like a big heavy weight. I was like, Oh damn, am I, am I trip leader now? Do I have to figure out the directions? Um, and, and yeah, that was a big thing. We got up to Boy Scout. We, we got for a nice little cold, cold soak, um, ended up, um, eating dinner in probably one of the most epic views of, I think I've ever, one of the most epic views I've ever seen with Whitney in the background, some of the spires, um, the lake right in front of us. And then looking behind, it's just this massive granite valley right over Death Valley. So it was just such a cool, cool view. Um, and they made it up for dinner, which was awesome. They, you know, she started feeling better, got acclimated. And so we had dinner together and someone had made uh, massive stone like Adirondack chairs. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it yeah. made those like reclining chairs out of like, oh, it felt like six foot slabs of just massive granite pieces they had stacked all perfectly. And so we just sat around this little ring um, eating dinner and shooting the shit. And yeah. um, it's probably, it's probably ancient, <laughs> ancient aliens probably did that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. The, yeah, building, <laughs> building crop circles and things. Um, yeah. Definitely the most, uh, most scenic place I've ever had to do my business too. Just crawling up into the, into the rocks, doing a little wag bag and, and bringing it back. That was, that was an interesting experience with the wag bags. Um, that is, yeah, that is the thing about hiking in the Sierras. I mean, you have no better bathroom views than, than when you're in the Sierras. They're epic. Yeah. It was epic. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to. Tr- I'll, I'll see if we can share a photo after this with uh with uh with that view too. I just remember being just so awestruck. I was like, I don't need my. I I almost was like, I don't want to be on my phone at all. But I was like, but I do need a photo of this. I just wanted. I, I do need one photo of this. And you um, and you knew that when she handed you the map that she was in bad shape because that ordinarily would would never happen. Yeah, yeah. Her passing the map is is a big deal. Like this is this is almost a, like, I don't want to call it a tick, but it's like, whenever we're stopping for, for water or snacks, it's like, let's pull out the map and just like assess it. And I love it. It's so cool. Um, Definitely rely on her a lot for navigation if we ever need it. But um, it it is awesome that she, she has this really cool collection of maps that she's starting to build up of all the places she's been. And, you know, luckily fortunate enough to have a, a solid hiking partner where I can, I can just trust that's what she's bringing to the table all the time. It's just, we'll never get lost, which is great. Um, but yeah, so the last day we're, we're getting up to, uh, Iceberg Lake, we've, we've um, 5.30 AM start, I think 4.30 start, uh, wake up, do a quick breakfast to leave the packs in my tent, open the tent up for all the marmots and unzip everything. Right. That's like kind of what they tell you is like, they're going to go through your pack, whether they eat through it or you just leave it open for them, you pick. Um, so we like unzipped everything, packs and tape packs, helmets, spikes, and, and start climbing up. Um, and we're getting up to the section that is right above iceberg where it's, it, it climbs into this really steep ravine. Um, I think it's called the final 400 or so. Um, and what normally in the, in the winter is iced over where you can just kind of hike your way up it with crampons. It's just this massive scree field. Uh, and so you're just really trying to slug along and, Two of my friends were not super comfortable bouldering. Um, so they were already just like a little iffy being up there. And then the other two from the day before 
um, or sorry, the girl again started getting that altitude kind of lightheaded. And she's like, I don't want to approach this. I'm not feeling well, not feeling strong, which I think was the smart move at the time. And so slowly our numbers are dwindling as we're getting closer to the summit. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm starting to make interesting decisions where I'm like, do I, do we keep going? Do we not? Like you're starting to question this because like Trinity again, we're so close to an awesome adventure, uh, but it's, it's right out of our reach. And so, uh, you know, we had early, we were still early enough on the approach Four of the five were gone. Um, and we get to this, this Passover point. I forgot what the actual, um, there, there's a technical name for it. That's like the nose or something that you like have to pass through or like the wedge maybe. And then you start climbing onto the backside and up and around to the, to the actual peak. Um, and so we're, we get to that point and it's a, it's a technical scramble. I think it was a class three class four scramble. Um, and my friends just like, dude, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> like, I don't feel good about this. Um, I'm going to start down climbing. And I was like, okay, well, like, what's the time now? How long do I think I need to get up there and back? Do I go alone? Um, and end up making the decision that I, I feel strong enough. I've got everything I need. Uh, and, I, and I can figure it out. Um, and we had seen a few people coming up and down, so I knew I wasn't totally remote. Um, so I made the call to just kind of push, push on. Um, and I get, and I'm starting to climb up this free field and I'm just jumping big rock to big rock because it's, you know, with the hiking boots on, you're getting, I'm getting all sorts of rocks all in my shoes at this point. Um, and I'm just jumping up, sliding down. So it's total definition of one, like two steps forward, one step back. Cause I am sliding back down and I start trying to in my mind play frogger where i'm just trying to find the biggest stone that i can jump on that and hope i don't slide and i'm just kind of froggering my way up to the top of this mountain um, i get to the back section and it's still iced over and uh, there were definitely a I, I didn't think at this point which i should have taken more time to assess the approach um but i was like i need to get up there i feel good about where i'm at bouldering wise i you know i I boulder on the side as well and kind of doing fours and fives, nothing like crazy. Like, you know, that it's not, I guess it's not very, very strong and technical, but it's mid range where, you know, it's not a a 5.13. You got this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not any, any crazy boulder problems. Um, So I'm getting up there and I realize that I am way too far left on a certain section and I need to cross all the way. I need to traverse effectively across to get up to where other folks were jumping up. I, kind of was trying to read for the rocks that would make an easy approach. And I just started traversing and using this undercling um, of a rock that's hanging out there with like an icy slope on the bottom. And that's, you know, something I definitely don't tell my mom <laughs> where I'm like, Oh yeah. You know, just underclinging across, uh, across this ledge, get up to the top, run up. And it's like, run up, find the sign, grab a quick photo of the sign, just as like proof I made it. I'm already 30 or 20 minutes past like my, my turnaround time. But I like asked the guys, like, dude, it's the blue skies. This you're you're already here. Like, you should just do it. Um, so I'm now like hustling back. I like find the section that I was supposed to climb up down. So down climbing was a lot easier. And now I just start hopping down this the, all the scree again. So rocks in the boots, and I'm just bouncing from rock to rock, like mountain goading my way down the the, the hill. Eventually, I get to a point, and they're kind of I can see them just as little specks in the distance, uh, sitting on the lake, like laying out on rocks, doing that. Um, I, I do a quick little wave and then I start, you know, making my way down. Um, and that, that was the beginning of the descent, but I, I got, a, a like very, very small moment of just like, yes, I made it up, up on top of that mountain before running back down. 
Um, and so everyone was stoked, like that at least one of our group had made it up there. Um, but then, yeah, once we got down, we actually had to drive back to San Francisco that night. So we got, we got a very long, long day and got back, I think after putting a, what effectively was like a 23 hour day in, um, got back at like four in the morning into the bay and, um, my other friends actually pulled something even crazier where they were driving up to um, Hood River to go kite surfing. And so they were driving up and they had to go through like the Oregon fires and things It got gnarly for them. Like they got in in the morning. Uh, but that was, that was quite a fun adventure for the Sierras. Definitely, definitely the highest uh, like, uh, or most elated I've ever felt kind of standing up uh, on top of the mountain there. Right. That's just a day trip, you know, 23 hours. That's, that's a day trip. That's quite an adventure yeah. for, for one day. Fantastic. Yeah, that was, that was a, I guess you'd call it, call it a day trip there. Um, but yeah, no, no marmots chewed through our bags either. So that was also nice. But we had Bonus. to go back, pack up the tent. Like there was still so much we had to do descending. That was just like, uh, I, was like I wish I had my hiking poles and just trying to power along down, down uh, descending. Right. Well, Kevin, don't, don't let your mom listen to this episode. Yeah, I'd be a little nervous. I've told her most of that story. I don't think she knows about the the traversing part, but I, I generally bleep that part out to like uh, <laughs> to, to most folks. You know, it's one of those uh, questionable decisions in hiking. Okay, now you don't only have uh, hiking experience as we've talked about. You also have some some biking experience, and you've you've biked most of the Oregon coast, and you've also biked from San Francisco to Santa Monica, which is down. For those folks who don't don't know, that's down by LA. So, yep. Uh, tell us about some of those experiences, and what is your bike bike pack uh, bike packing gear? How does how is that mm-hmm. different from your backpacking gear? Yeah, it's it's somewhat of a crossover, somewhat different. Um, bike packing and bike touring is a lot of dry bags and straps. Uh, instead of having just like one vessel, you're really trying to just smash everything into as many little pockets and things you, you can. I think it's, it's probably similar to the through hikes. If you're doing an extended time where day two, you're like, do I, do I really need this spaghetti that I packed? Nah, ditch. <laughs> do I really need this? Nah. And so you're kind of like this or that and playing with playing with weight at that point because you just don't want to keep packing it back and forth. Um, so yeah, I'd say from a gear perspective, I, I've, I've only used paneers actually, um, which have held up pretty well. I haven't done any like more intense gravel on my bike, bike packing. It's mostly, or I guess more so been bike touring for those, um, for those two trips. And then the gravel road, fish rock road, which mm-hmm. shall not be named. Uh, uh, that, that was, I guess the closest I got to some, some rough gravel on, on 28 slick, road tires which was not the right move um but yeah generally i'd say beef your tires um got two ortlieb ortlieb paneers that are waterproofed um and then you know you have around like 40 liters or so to pack or i guess 60 60 liters including a dry bag that i strapped to the front of my handlebars double bottle cage mini or half frame bag for the um for the frame and then the two paneers that i just stuff everything else that i can i generally try and pack one one with like clothes, like sleeping gear, the works, the other with bike mechanic, food, um, any, I guess the tent goes in there as well. Um, so kind of a blend of like where I put my sleeping system, but I try and do like one as a camp bag and the other as like my day bag or anything else I need as a quick grab lights, that sort of thing. Right. Now, when you are, when you were biking from San Francisco to Los Angeles, where does one camp when you're in the middle of a, a bike trip like that? Um, I, 
it took a decent amount of research and if anyone actually wants like hit me up on instagram after i'm happy to share share what i made um california isn't as friendly as oregon when it comes to um i guess hike and bike type campsites and walk-up campsites um so it's a little bit harder to plan for it but i tried to use state land everywhere i could um i only got a hotel one night because it was I think it was like 35 mile an hour gusts. My gear was still wet from two nights before. Um, and I just met some, met some friends along the way that were credit card touring. Um, so they offered and I was like, you know, that sounds, that sounds great. I, I could use a hot shower. It's been four days on the road. Um, and I hadn't really gotten a proper shower besides the, the wipes. Um, so that was a, that was a fun um, trip to plan in that you kind of had to plan your segments very intentionally. Um, my first segment was a little ambitious. I did 87 miles down to Santa Cruz. Um, the next day was another 80 down to Big Sur. Um, then I did Big Sur the next day and that's the day it rained on me, which was wild to do Big Sur in the elevation. I was totally unprepared for, um, I was using Google maps, which my, which another fellow backpacker or bike tour laughed at me literally laughed out loud was like oh oh no I was like no 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 uh, that was what I told him what my plan was for the day uh because I was trying to get another 60 in that day over I think it was like six or seven thousand feet of elevation which was a haul of a day in the rain um so I camped outside Cambria uh which was in San Luis Obispo area mm-hmm. um then outside of Goleta and Santa Barbara um and then there's a few parks um outside of LA and so I, I think it was Point Magoo um, was the, or maybe Fort, something Harrison Park, um, which was kind of a cool little park. I didn't know that one existed right outside of LA, but it was, um, that was, that was actually one of my favorite campsites um, outside of Goleta, which I saw dolphins playing in the waves during sunset. So it's pretty hard to beat that. You can't uh, beat that. <laughs> yeah, that, that one was, and it was just like, you know, the perfect Santa Barbara pink and blue skies. I mean, it was, it was amazing. Um, but those trips were, or it, it's hard to plan, I think, because the, the parks websites also don't do a great job of labeling the hiker bike walk up campsites. Um, but they're, I mean, they're like five bucks. It's like a total secret that I'm letting out right now. It's so cheap to camp that way. Um, and a great way to explore your local, local roads as well. Like you can stay relatively local, still get an epic adventure in, um, and, and do it for pretty cheap. And I mean, one of the guys or two of the guys that I found that were doing it, what they were, uh, or one guy had panniers, the other guy was using a backpack and he, I mean, wasn't the, wasn't the best. I don't think I'd, I wouldn't recommend that, but it's doable. Um, that might be one of the insanity, insanity scale questions for you. If you're bikepacking, <laughs> do you use a backpack or panniers? Uh, but, I'll, I'll have to amend the list. That's a, that's a good point. That's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that, yeah, that was a good trip. It was seven days. I was, I told my dad I was coming home for Thanksgiving and I biked home. <laughs> so that was, that was a fun surprise and i was like hey like what's up uh you know rolling in he's like can you pick me up in santa monica area uh i'm on my bike and he's like just so flabbergasted that i that i was able to pull that off i'm gonna put you on the spot kevin do you prefer backpacking or bike touring Ooh. there's a different sense of adventure that i feel like i get between the two in that with touring, there's such a thrill in actually riding a bike and having the wind in your face and covering so much ground. Uh, and, and still, it, it can be quite a feat depending on the, the distance, I'd say, you're going. But 
backpacking, I mean, it's just you and your feet and like the gear you've got on your back. And it's incredibly self. I mean, they're both incredibly human powered, self-supported adventures. Um, but, but I think backpacking is more approachable uh, and you can get into some more interesting terrain, I'd say. Like there's, I mean, you don't need trails or any sort of, like you can just go and hike wherever your feet can take you and climb over boulders or, you know, traverse icy ledges or wander down the beach. Like it's really hard to do that all on a bike or all on the same bike, right? You can fat tire bike as a, uh, like Chris Picard, I think is a big adventure photographer and mm-hmm. he, he's done Iceland a couple of times over the snow. Like that's definitely on the list, but I, I think, you know, just given that, uh, ooh, that's so hard. Yeah, I'd, I'd say bikepacking just because okay. I haven't done it as much. It's still so new and there's still so much to see. Uh, you know, I, I think the Dolomites are an area that are high on the list. And, I mean, bikepacking or or backpacking would be amazing in those Alps. But uh, yeah, there's just so much, so much to see. Yeah. Can you share a favorite memory from each experience? A, uh, a backpacking favorite moment in a bikepacking or bike touring favorite moment? one that really stands out if we haven't talked about it already. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to, so the, um, bike packing, or I guess let's start with the backpacking. I think backpacking was, it's kind of funny. We we're all sitting around trying snacks, um, out, outside of Alabama Hills and, and trend, uh, or outside of Alabama Hills with that group kind of talking Whitney in the background, um, looking at, you know, what our, our next two days would look like. And, um, this little mouse come on, this little desert mouse came up and started like trying to knit for food and was running back and forth and we're like, where did this thing go? And we're now just like, you know, obviously not trying to like feed it, leave no choice policy and, and whatnot. But, um, it ended up nipping my, or like, I guess taking a little nip out, nibble out of, uh, my friend's finger instead, uh, like ran up and just, I crumbs on the finger or something, but that mouse, that mouse knew what it wanted. Um, and just like nipped my friend and he was just so, so amazed, uh, that, that the wildlife could do that. Right? We were worried about like, Oh, bear canisters or any sorts of other things, but no desert mouse got him. Um, so that was, that was a pretty funny, uh, little moment there. And then uh, bike packing. This was the Oregon coast, um, and I, I had met another friend, Ian, um, on day one of the trip. And so day three now, we were kind of doing a little bit of a brewery tour, and we ended up um, we ended up finding Rogue Brewing um, out. On, I think it was out of Newport, and our campsite was less than a mile and a half away, which is dangerous, very dangerous for a campsite <laughs> to be that close to a brewery. Um, and so we, we, you know, roll in and he tries to avoid this little sand pit in the way it's like, there's like a uh, space between the gates. You can just roll through. And so we roll through, he avoids the sand pit, rolls over some weeds and then rolls into, um, and we roll over to the brewery. And I'm like, dang, his, his tire is really sandy. Like there's some weird stuff going on that tire. Get inside the brewery, get a little flight, do some tastings, come back out. It was not sand. It was uh really really thorny vegetation that he had rolled through trying to avoid the sand uh and so he was running a tubeless setup which is just sealant and we ended up spending i think an hour and 45 minutes if not two hours picking (laughs) picking individual thorns out of his tire because he didn't have an extra tire nor extra sealant 
Um, so if you're getting into bikepacking and using tubeless, please bring both of those extra things. Um, but went inside, grabbed another six pack. <laughs> so we're like, all right, we're not doing the mileage we thought we were going to do that day. We're just going to sit down, <laughs> hang out. And I had a credit card and he had tweezers and we just flicked thorns out of the front and back tires for probably two hours sipping on beer. Oh, darn. Uh, <laughs> oh, darn. More beer. Sorry. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, we ended up that led to uh, a pretty great sunset actually, because we, we weren't going to, or we were going to skip one of the campsites. I think it was like Cape Perpetua or something. And um, the drop in is off the highway and then into this lagoon. And I just remember we, we rolled into this lagoon and the sunset just kind of had magically started forming through the forest and we could see it as we were kind of biking through. But then we, when we hit the lagoon, it was just full force. Um, and this, this heron comes from like the left side or the right side of your view and just swoops down onto the lake while this, this person that's kayaking is kind of on there, like crystal clear waters, very still. And this heron just swoops super low and follows it all the way across the horizon and goes back up into the forest. And it was just such a treat. Uh, and, you know, that was, I guess, yeah, how things work out sometimes after the thorns and beers, we just ended up seeing this really cool sunset and rolling into camp at dark. And a uh, nice little hack about Oregon uh, parks is that a lot of them are bike friendly and a lot of them offer hot showers for free. So that was huge. Uh, nice. It was really fun to get the hot shower after, after a day like that. Although we were pretty relaxed, I'd say from the afternoon. Yeah. That's that, the way you described it. That sounds like a, a scene from a national geographic documentary. Right. In my head, I was, I was narrating in the background. Yeah. I was hoping, <laughs> I was hoping someone would narrate in the back. It was, oh man, that, that was, I think that's one of my highlights though. Definitely of backpacking is just like how, how still the evening felt for those few moments. And we didn't even stop for that long, but just for those few moments, we were just just standing there silent, just watching this whole scene like unfold. It was it was amazing. Fantastic. Hey Kevin, you know where we are? I don't. Where are we? We are at that time of the episode where I turn to you and ask you for some trail wisdom for your pro tip inside of the week. What bit of uh, advice do you have for our listeners to make their next outdoor adventure even better? I think in terms of pro tips, what I've found is you can never hydrate too much. Uh, I know it's a super basic tip, but as someone who grew up kind of in the water, playing water polo, swimming, I kind of just like took the thirst feeling for granted. You know, it's kind of gross, but you swish and spit and you just keep on, keep on doing your sport, right? Whereas I think the dry land folks, if you will, the soccer players, football, whatever else, like you kind of feel thirsty. You got to go get some water. And so I didn't really actually develop a good habit of that um, until I think uh, going through the Grand Canyon of Tuolumne, when I started realizing I was just getting so fatigued and I just wasn't drinking enough water. And so that was a huge thing for me is actually stopping, taking the proper amount of water breaks. Um, same thing with cycling. You're just always expanding energy. Um, and so, so being hydrated will be a game changer, not only for just how long you can go in a day, but also for the next day and how you how quickly you recover. So, um, that's, I know super basic, but, um, if you're going into the desert or going somewhere where you think there might be water sources, take the extra time to refill and, um, and get prepared. That is a solid pro tip, not basic at all. So thank you for that. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Kevin. Want to thank him for joining us this week, Kevin, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? I'm on Instagram mostly. I think that's the most uh, posts I do on the adventure side. 
Um, and that's K gong with, with two G's at the end. Um, yeah, that's probably the best bet. And I, I love feedback on photos. So, uh, yeah, if anyone actually is uh, starting to get into a hobbyist adventure photography type of sorts, I'm starting to get a group together, um, to do some, just kind of talk through how we can improve in photo tips for outdoors. So, uh, follow me there. Okay. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakingmirror at gmail.com. Kevin, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, some kind of adventure media to keep our listeners connected to the, to the outdoors. Uh, we call this our adventure media recommendation. What do you have for us? Ooh, can I do two? Absolutely. Two, two is better so, than the price of one. Yeah. Valley Uprising. Uh, was yes. a climbing doc that I really loved. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of on the, I think I watched it around the same time that like Don Wall and Free Solo came out. But I was like, what's this one? You know, Amazon's like, uh, we got the algorithm for you. Uh, and I, I, they nailed me. Uh, it was amazing. So love that documentary. Um, and then the other one I'd recommend. This is actually a book I'm, I'm kind of getting my way through. But um, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. It's not quite an adventure-esque book, but it's almost like a fable-esque, has the story of a guy riding his motorcycle across the, the States, and I don't want to give any more away, but um, yeah, if you're into motorcycle or, or philosophy, if that, for that matter, it's a, kind of a nice little book. It's quite old, actually. I think it was published back in the 70s, but um, it's a good one. You're right. You're right on that. It is, it is from the 70s, and it's a Interesting read. Uh, very good. And Valley Uprising. I think Valley Uprising is the best example I can think of, of uh, expectations determining what people are able to do. So it's, it's actually a kind of a lesson in efficacy because they thought that, that uh, El Capitan could never be summited, right? That could never be climbed. And the first guy to do it, you know, it took him 18 months to do it. And then mm-hmm. once, he, once, he, once he did it in 18 months and people knew that it was possible to do it, you saw that time shorten and shorten and shorten and shorten until now they're doing it in you know, you know four hours. So yeah, so the elite that, climbers today. That reminds me of, uh, have you seen 14 peaks yet? Yes. Uh, Nims. That's the same kind of thing, right? It's yeah. like, how quickly can you climb all those 14 ers And I mean, what was it like years for the first one? And then mm-hmm. uh, now it's, now it's done in months or a few years. I, I actually can't remember the exact timeline, but yeah, it was, remember. it was seven months, right? It was like, it was seven months that he did the, the 14 peaks. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. Was it six or se- six or seven years down to six or seven months or seven right. months? Yeah. Amazing. And, uh, it is it's truly inspiring. Yes, absolutely. You know, I reached out to Nims, asked if he wanted to come on the, on the podcast. I'm still waiting for a response, but you know, I'll keep my fingers crossed. There we go. Share the episode and uh, let's see if we can get Nims on board. I'd love to love to hear him talk about, uh, about how he got into adventures. What, I wonder what his pro tip is. That would be a, that'd be a fun one. <laughs> No oxygen tank. That's his pro tip. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Is that his gear rack as well? Is a no, Maybe. no oxygen tank. <laughs> All right. Hey, and before we wrap things up, I've got just one more segment for you called What Have I Not Asked You that you're dying to tell us about? What do we miss? Oh, um, I, and this. I know it, like going outside, being able to experience the outdoors is, comes from somewhat of a place of privilege, but just like, just cherish it as much as you can. It is so cool that we have the opportunity that we do to experience nature and, and get out there. It's such a great way to, to reset the mind, or it really is kind of just this, this awesome healing force that provides when you go out and, re, you know, respect it um, and respect those trips. So I think 
it, whatever we can do from a conservation perspective or advocacy perspective, be better stewards from Mother Nature. I think um, we should definitely be doing our part where we can. Yep. Take care of it for future generations to experience that same magic out there. Absolutely. All right. Well, that is a wrap from the John Freaky Mirror Studio. Any shout outs to friends and family, Kevin? think i've done most of my shout outs i would uh, i guess maybe J- jadley javen they they know who they are um that's uh yeah that's about it okay well thank you for tuning in always remember the trail is the trail it doesn't care if you want to go downhill it doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite it doesn't even care if your trail partner has handed you the map the trail <laughs> is the trail embrace the suck <laughs>